Good morning. It's quite a run over here. <laughs> hey, I'm excited to, to be with you this morning. So good to see you. We are, we're sharing from Jude today. You know, there's, there's a song on YouTube with multiple versions and multiple uploads, and the top search for this particular song actually has over 255 million views. And there's uh, at least five other uploads of this song that have 10 million plus views. So I don't know if you do all the math, it may be over a billion views total. I'm, uh, I would not be surprised. Now this song is over seven minutes long, and uh, it has an incredibly catchy line. In fact, for over four minutes of the song, it's just this one line over and over again, and it's really profound. It goes like this, nah, 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 nah. Hey, Jude. It's really profound, isn't it? You know, it's for probably not a whole lot more than listening to the second half of that song, you could sit down and read out loud the little letter, tiny little letter of Jude. And it is probably, um, it is probably uh, more obscure than Hey, Jude, the song is famous. And yet, it has a profound message that has life and death consequences. There are some very sweet parts and verses in this, in this little chapter. There's also some very strong and scathing words of warning and condemnation. But it has substance in uh, ways that the song Hey Jude could never hold a candle to. Now, it's written by Jude, who most people believe to be the half-brother of Jesus, and he was either his youngest brother or perhaps his next-to-youngest brother. The reason we believe that is because uh, he doesn't identify himself in this way, but he says, I am the brother of James in verse 1. And uh, most people believe the only, way, the only Jude that that could possibly be would have to be uh, Jesus' younger brother because the only James in the church that time that could just be identified as brother of James would have to be James who led the church in Jerusalem and was very much a prominent figure there. But the interesting thing is he, he's not hung up on his biological roots and ties. Actually, the thing that's more important to him is what he first says. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. So his identity is not about his biological ties to Jesus or even that, that much about James, an important leader in the early church, but about his spiritual relationship with the one who happened to be his half-brother. Jesus was his Lord and his master, and he was prepared to serve him and to know him as he truly was and is, and to share that with other people. Now, what's interesting, unlike, hey, Jude, this nah, 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 Jude, in these 25 little verses, actually probably uh, has more uh, faith vocabulary that's important to our Christian faith, packed in perverse, than uh, a lot of other books in the Bible. Think of this. In Jude, we basically hear about the Trinity. He talks about God the Father explicitly. Then he talks about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's multiple references to the Spirit or the Holy Spirit. He talks about salvation. He talks in verse 3 about our common salvation or how Jesus saved a people out of Egypt and on and on. And then when you drill into that idea of, of salvation, you hear about him talking over and over again about the mercy of God. He speaks of the grace of God, about the peace that God will give us as we experience God's grace. Then he talks about, not explicitly, but he talks about repentance. Basically, it's strongly implied based on the way he develops his message. He talks about 
the faith or your most holy faith. And he's ultimately talking about that revelation of who God is and what God has done to rescue us and save us. But then naturally, uh, the, the implied response of trusting in the God who has revealed himself in this revelation. He goes on to talk about eternal life. He talks about final judgment. And he has a whole lot to say about godliness versus ungodliness. And something related to that, he uses some language about holiness. So Jude, has he packs in a whole lot that's important to our faith. But maybe the most prominent theme of all, but actually can be one that's easy to miss, is the love of God. He talks in verse 1, and he kind of develops this really primarily about uh, as he talks to the people he's writing to, and he speaks about who they are and what they've experienced. In verse 1 of Jude, he says, You're called, and you are beloved in God the Father. Then in verse 2, he basically offers up what amounts to a short prayer for them when he says, May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Where does that love come from to them? It comes from God. He goes on to say in verses 3, 17, and 20, uh, he gives them this wonderful uh, title that he calls them by. He keeps referring to them as beloved, beloved, beloved. And obviously, the, the most important understanding there is he's talking again about how God loves them. And that's supposed to be their identity and their anchor point. He talks about this, uh, this feature of their common worship life in verse 12. He talks about your love feast. No doubt they had this special way of coming together to celebrate the Lord's Supper in the early church where it was, I think, the way I'm understanding, it's more like a family meal. And in the context of that meal, they celebrated the love that God has shown for us by sending his son to die for us. And then that love experience then spilled out to love one another in the community. And then it equipped them to love the people outside the church who needed this message of love and salvation in Christ just as much as those that already knew it did. And then we get to this point there in verses 20 and 21 where he talks about keeping yourselves in the love of God. Now, not only does Jude talk about, uh, in the second person, directly addressing uh, those that are experienced God's love, but he also speaks in the third person of another group. And he has very, very, very difficult things to say about them. He speaks of a group of people who claim to know the true grace of God, and yet they were living lives that denied the grace of God. They thought that they could live in certain lifestyle patterns, and it was okay, grace covered it all. Well, grace does cover it all, every single bit of it. But grace is perverted when it's used as an excuse or a reason for pursuing a life that God calls unholy or ungodly. And we must remember that the grace of God is not only a forgiving dynamic in our lives, but the grace of God is also a freeing and empowering dynamic as well. So that God, the life that God calls us to and, and, and the life that God forgives in the past of where we lived apart from God there can be a transformation, there can be a change, and we can live a new life. And in fact, that's one of the things that ultimately Jude stresses at the very end. He kind of moves into this spirit of worship, and he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. And so in the context of all of these wonderful things he's been saying about what they've experienced and then about these people who are threatening them and, and are really ultimately presenting a crisis for the believers, he has this interesting 
and maybe even puzzling thing to say. So I'll read again for you verses 20 through 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now that is a very strange phrase to us. In fact, some of us may be thinking, is that really in the Bible? I thought God just loved us. What's this business about keeping yourselves in the love of God? That seems to sort of contradict the, the idea of unconditional love and God's grace. Well, apparently for Jude, it didn't. Now, if, if we were to sort of bring out the accent that he seems to, to have uh, in these verses and to put it in Mississippi terms, it's like he does this. Y'all! Y'all yourselves! Yourselves! In the love of God, keep. Now, that sounds very strange, but that's basically the word order, and that's he keeps stressing. You've got something to do. You've got to participate in the love of God. The love of God doesn't just forgive you, it empowers you. And the love of God calls you to a different life. What does it mean, the love of God? It means to be favored. It means to be accepted and affirmed by God as God's own child. It means that we no longer stand under condemnation and judgment. It means that we're forgiven because of what Christ has done. It means that we're brought into a special covenant relationship where we're God's children. It means that as we repent and believe in Christ as Lord, it means God recognizes and acknowledges us as people who are seeking to rightly respond to what he's done for us and wants to do in us uh, to, to live according to his will, to live a holy life. But the question is, how in the world do we keep ourselves in the love of God? And actually, Jude actually gives us some help. As we pay attention to some of the things that he says, he kind of helps us out in verses 20 and 21. But before I dig into that a little bit, I think there's two, in, two important ingredients that he, I think, stresses over and over again. One is that we cannot keep ourselves in the love of God unless God is working to help us do that. Uh, this is not the first time he uses the, the language keep. If you go back to the beginning, he talks about in verse 1 how you're kept for Christ Jesus. The implication there is that God's the one that's already working to keep us. And as I already uh, referenced, you get another bookend at the end of the book with, where it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. See, ultimately what he's talking about is depending on the work that God is already doing for us and in us. That's how we begin to keep ourselves in the love of God. We receive God's loving reach and outreach toward us. It's, it's stressed in the fact that he talks about the Holy Spirit in the context of their prayers. It's uh, implied when he talks about your most holy faith in verse 20. He's talking about the truth and the revelation of God the Father sending his Son, of how the Son of God went to the cross, how he died as a criminal on the cross for us, thereby taking our sin upon himself. And then on the basis of that, he, he gives us the Holy Spirit, not because we do something or achieve something, but because Jesus has done it all. He's paid it all. So we receive forgiveness and we receive the Spirit. And it's the very presence of the Spirit of God in our hearts that makes us new people and makes us able and, and, and gives us the want to, to move forward with Christ. And that's part of the reason why he basically says these, these other people are devoid of the Spirit. Because if the Spirit of God truly was in them as a free gift 
or if they had not somehow along the way rejected the Spirit, they couldn't look in the face of unholiness and say, this is okay, we can do this. God, God allows us to do this now. It's, it's a free pass. No, it's not a free pass. It, it's a calling uh, to go and re- reject that and repent of that and move in a new direction. And there's a promise that the Spirit will e- empower us. But not only is it something where we have to depend on God, we have to depend on each other. This is not a solo uh, sport. This is not something we do alone. All of these, there's so many ways that I could illustrate from this letter how Jude uh, tells us that. One of the major ways is what he models for us. He, he reaches out to them through a letter, but this is very much should become a, a, a model for how they could interact in person. He prays for them, r- recognizing that ultimately the work is God's to accomplish. So he prays, may the mercy and peace and the love of, of God be multiplied to you. Uh, it comes in the fact that he, he addresses them in very personal ways to help them remind, remind them of their identity. It comes out in the other teaching that he gives in the letter. He, he basically, I think, is modeling the thing that he calls them to do in verses 22 and 23. Notice how he says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Verse 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. I think Jude is actually modeling in his letter what he's calling them to do in those two verses. He's, he himself is reaching out to believers who are in danger, who are on the brink of spiritual destruction and devastation so that he can then snatch them out of the fire and they can be rescued and they can experience the mercy of God flowing through him. And so it's important for us then to recognize that this is something that ultimately depends on the Father through his Son, Jesus, by the Holy Spirit. It, it comes to us through remembering that most holy faith and rehearsing it to ourselves, sharing it with one another in community, that we receive the influence and work of the Holy Spirit to keep us prayerful, trusting that just as surely as Jude was praying for mercy, peace, and love to be multiplied and that God was going to answer his prayers, that the Spirit would stir up and answer those same prayers as they engaged that for one another within the community. And ultimately then, it was all about the mercy of God. The past mercy of God, the present mercy of God, and then ultimately looking ahead to the future when the Lord Jesus Christ would come and ultimately he would put a capstone on his work of mercy and welcome his children into eternal life to the full. As we think about going through this time of Lent, and I think we a lot of times emphasize spiritual disciplines, that seems to, I think, fit right in with a lot of the things that Jude has been talking about here, about building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit, uh, waiting for the, the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that, that that's what we're talking about, how we're looking to God through various ways, prayer, scripture, uh, community, service, other ways. And we want to keep ourselves in the love of God, the love that's already there for us, but has to be received and unpacked in our lives uh, to know it to the full and, and for its full benefit and its full effect. I've been reading a book lately that I've really enjoyed because sometimes we, we do, and I, I kind of am one of the, those people that I try to do it all, and then I try to have other people do it all, and it doesn't usually work very well because it's, like, overwhelming. But I love this one book that I've been reading by a guy named David Mathis, and it's called Habits of Grace, Enjoying Jesus Through the Spiritual Disciplines. And he recognizes that there's a whole lot of things that, that are important for us to grow in our faith and to continue to receive God's love and be built up in God's love. 
But he takes all those things and he organizes them around three simple ideas. And I think it's brilliant. He says, basically what we're trying to do is we're trying to hear the voice of God. We're trying to have God's ear. And we're trying to belong to the body of Christ. Hear the voice of God. Have God's ear. And belong to the body of Christ. And so, whether it's scripture reading or meditation or Bible study, whether it's being under preaching or teaching, whether it's prayers alone or with a group, or prayer journaling, or taking the Lord's Supper or fasting, whatever it is, all of them really are just simply, we're trying to personally hear God's voice and personally try to have God's ear, and we try to come together in the body to to experience those same things together. So what is that for you? What would be a, a next step for you to respond to God's mercy, to respond to God's call, to seek to live out this call to keep, keep yourself in the love of God? What would it look like to listen for God's voice, to respond to have God's ear, and to do that with others? I invite us to pray about that uh, as we go to prayer today. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that you give us the opportunity to gather as the body here. We have had multiple opportunities through scripture reading, through preaching, through songs to listen for and hear your voice. And now we've had one more way to reach out and seek to have your ear. So Lord, we just ask that you guide us. Just as surely as Jude depended on you and prayed to you for mercy, peace, and love to be multiplied to his beloved friends who were your beloved children, we're asking for the same thing for us. Guide us now by the Spirit. Empower us by the Spirit. Help us to receive your warnings to be delivered from destruction. Help us to be willing to find ways to do that for others in our lives and be open to other people functioning that way for us. And help us to realize that it's all based on your ability and your power. For you're the God who's able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before your holy presence with great rejoicing. We pray all this in Jesus' name, through the power of your Holy Spirit, and all God's children said, Amen.